Hello and welcome back to Unleash Your Peace. My name is Ellie Shoja. I am your host. I'm a positive mindset coach, a personal transformation expert. I'm a deliberate creator and I am your peace trainer. And this podcast over here is your peace training. It's the podcast where every single week we dive into a different topic about the internal world. And we do that for one purpose only, and that is to take you inward because What you find when you go inward is everything you've ever been asking for. It's your peace, your joy, everything that gives your life meaning. So when you live from that place of joy, peace, and connectedness to the non-physical part of you, to that infinite beingness part of you, you don't just incrementally improve the quality of your life, you actually exponentially innovate every aspect of your experiences on this physical plane, and that is our wish for you. We want you to become the powerful creator that you have come here to be. We want you to become an uplifter in your family, in your community, and guess what? That trickles out into the world, and that's how we level up as a human race. Now, this week, we have another really exciting, amazing episode for you. I am joined again by Nilu Naderi, who is now my standing co-host. Hi, Nilu. Welcome back. Hi, and I am your other peace trainer. I'm so happy to be here. I know. Yes, Nilu has joined the Peace Unleashed family officially. She is our COO. I'm like totally knocking everything out right now. I, She's so I excited. Almost, I know. I, knock, I almost knocked over a tripod next to me with a camera on it. Let's not do that. But we do have a really wonderful guest today on the show. And this individual, I met her uh, when I was doing a panel for Digital Hollywood. And she approached me afterwards and we had a chat and she ended up coming to our meditation parties. She has since become a friend and completely assimilated into our little LA community here. And I could not be happier to have her on the show. I know, Nilu, we've talked about having her on for for a little while, and we're so glad that she was able to join us. This individual is an actress. She is a mime. And she's a professional doing, mime. Yes, a professional <laughs> mime. You know, she doesn't just act out without <laughs> talking. She actually went and got trained to be a mime. I don't know how you do that, but she did in France. And she has a really amazing new project that we wanted to talk to her about um, that touches a lot of the concepts, tools, issues that we talk about on this podcast. So we thought we'll bring her on. So without further ado, uh, we have here Mari Morrison. Thank you very much. What an amazing introduction. Thank you. And thank you for pointing out that I'm a professional mime as opposed to an amateur hobbyist <laughs> mime. Don't try this at home. I went to Paris. I did what you're meant to do. I wore stripes. And uh, I still wear and stripes. A and a beret. <laughs> Don't paint my face white. I have taken it to another level. But I do have white gloves. Yes. Yep. And yep. you have a show. Yes. You have a mime show. I do, darling. Yes. Yes. Called One Mime at a Time that uh, exists. In fact, we were just talking about this a moment ago about, well, when I came to LA, I started doing stand-up comedy and uh, I did a bit of mime in my stand-up and people told me that in America, people hate mime <laughs> and that there was even a website, www.wehatemime.com. 
and I thought there's a niche in the market there and I am going to start I'm going to dust off those stripes from Paris and I'm going to conquer the market you know you have to diversify you have to market yourself in LA yeah you gotta change uh people's minds at hearts exactly exactly yeah I think mimes were getting a bad rap. We were getting pushed in with the clowns. Oh. And I think clowns, you know, myself, I still can't watch it. I'm still a little scared oh, of that red nose. Yes. But I think mimes are the benevolent cousin. They are not the people <laughs> that are running around murdering anyone. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. Uh, there, there are clown schools out there. Yeah, uh, you know, one I would of imagine my, it's different than a mime school. Well, mime school, first of all, is very quiet, <laughs> very peaceful. And in, in clown school, you know, that's not the case. They've got horns and noses, you know, things are things yeah, yeah. go things are a little Oversized more frantic. Shoes. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Mari actually taught me how to mime uh, about a year and a half ago. That's right. When I was doing Thrive at 35. And I remember you. the one thing that really I stuck with me was uh, in school, you said like, you were like doing some very day-to-day motion and like you had to break it down to like 200 Mm. individual little steps Mm -hmm. and kind of master Mm -hmm. each of them. And I was like, I can't believe there's so much like technique and finesse to miming. Yes, that's very true. Yep, making a cocktail was 480, I think, 480, 470, 480 moves. Wow. You'd have to learn them all and the teacher would sit there very strictly and just say, okay, speed up moves 100 to 130 and things oh like that and then you would have to do that and it would give wow. a personality to it because otherwise it's extremely economic mm. you know you're, you're literally looking picking you you know you're breaking it down to that uh, i bet that's coming useful is that coming useful in your Very everyday life? So. i use my my i use miming in my conference meetings all the time good good yeah. good yeah communicating non-verbally yeah. <laughs> it was over the phone too <laughs> well done darling well if a mime artist can be on a podcast you can do that sort of thing on a conference call <laughs> But Mari, what you're doing right now is uh, you're doing the mime, but you have a project that you have been championing and it's kind of blowing up. We saw the CBS interview with you about this project. And can you speak to us what it is? Yes. Well, good segue from mime. Yes. <laughs> this is called Don't Silence Me, yes. <laughs> which is the best name, oh the best title of the next project. I know. Uh, well... I mean, do you want me to talk about the origin of the project, where it starts, what it is? Totally. Uh, yes. So the project is called Don't Silence Me. And yeah. it's a music video where you yeah. brought a very specific segment of women together, yeah. right, to, to make this music video. Yeah. And it has to do with the Me Too yeah. movement. Exactly. Yes. Basically, something happened to me. I was sexually assaulted at the beginning of my career in in Paris, actually in France, by a very well-known film director. And I was drugged and I woke up naked next to him. And that was an experience that happened at the beginning of my career that I did not want to look at. So Mm. kind of suppressed for the last 17 years. And uh, it was was something that if anyone was talking about date rape or something, I could talk about what had happened as if I was talking to to somebody about what I'd had for lunch. It had no bearing. I I kept it at arm's length until the Weinstein allegations came out. And then I started to think about whether or not I ought to come forward with the name of the person that did this to me. And I I met one of the survivors from Bill Cosby and uh, Lily Bernard, who's an amazing woman. And I, I hadn't realized until the moment I did a video call with her that I needed to look into the eyes of someone that knew what I was going through. And that was this kind of beginning of my my healing of my of, of coming to terms with things, and thus ensued a whole lot of therapy, and a lot of questioning about whether or not to come forward, 
And then my friend Sadie Jamet, who's a singer and a songwriter, she wrote me a song called Don't Silence Me and she recorded it last summer in 2018 and she asked if I wanted to do the music video, mm-hmm. which was a tricky thing because I didn't know whether I was able to do that yet. Mm-hmm. I was still in a lot of doing a lot of work, a lot of therapy. And I knew coming doing the video would mean coming forward and talking about mm-hmm. my story. But then uh, I, she kept on saying to me, "Is only do it if it's going to be empowering. And I thought about the word empowering so much that it, it began to lose meaning for me. You know, when mm-hmm. you just stare at a word so much and you think, will it be, will it be? And I don't know, empowering is such a big word. Yeah, I didn't know whether it would or not, um, but I knew that I should do it. And I did it. And there's over 45 women in the video. A lot of them are survivors. Some of them are high profile survivors of of um, of Bill Cosby, of Harvey Weinstein, of Donald Trump, James Toback. And so we, we end up creating this community. It was an extremely um, supportive, incredible project that has just snowballed from mm-hmm. having a very small budget, topping it up with a bit bigger of a budget with a crowdfunding campaign, and then you know, having a premiere last week and then doing a, this live CBS interview, five and a half minutes. Well, I can't. I still can't quite believe and that And Lily happened. was on that interview with yep, you, right? Lily yeah, Lily was on that too. Yeah. And now we have, and then I did an interview with the BBC. We now have over 34,000 views in, in just over a week. And I'm going to London, Paris and Glasgow wow. Amazing. next month to do the world tour, darling. Oh, I love discussions. it. And uh, Maury, I know when you came forward with your story last year, first of all, when I got the email, I was shocked. I had no idea you had experienced something like that. Yeah. Um, but I know you also made a decision to not come forward with the name of the individual. Mm-hmm. Can you kind of tell us why, wh- where, where your thought was on that? Yeah, great question, which was a question that plagued my whole year last year, whether or not to, because I am um, a strong activist. I do a lot of work with, I've just opened the LA chapter of Amnesty. uh, So I uh, campaign a lot for human rights, in particular women's rights. So my struggle last year was, do I need to do this? Because do I need in the way of I ought to do this because I'm a woman that's experienced this and a lot of women in the world don't have a platform. And mm-hmm. not only do they not have a platform, they can't, they could be punished for coming forward and telling anyone what had happened, let alone the world or mm-hmm. trying to change policy. And so a lot of me was weighed down with um, my, my essentially what I felt was my duty to come forward in some way. But all that was tied up for me around this person's name and that's an extremely difficult thing to do be the first person to come out against somebody that's a public figure first of all you're opening yourself up to be sued by that person so you have to make sure that you have lawyers in place mm-hmm. that and that's daunting mm-hmm. especially uh, in my situation this this happened in France so it would mean going back to France uh stopping work I mean there's a, there's a lot at stake at that but ultimately what made me decide not to come forward with his name is because as soon as you do, then it becomes about him and it mm-hmm. becomes about his story and whether Absolutely. or not there's going to be justice for him and taking him very, you know, to court. And in my case, it's past the statute of limitations, so I can't. Mm-hmm. That's not an option for me. And I feel I wanted to do something for the survivors, <coughs> for the journey of what it is to be a survivor. And there are so many of us, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, really, there are so many people that mm-hmm. are survivors. And I also wanted with this video to pay to pay serious homage to the women that have gone before me and that did come forward because if uh, if the Bill Cosby survivors hadn't told their story, then the Harvey Weinstein survivors might not have told theirs and I may never have healed essentially because I thought I was okay. 
but I was in utter denial, you know, mm. now. And I thought I was quite a self-aware uh, person. I'd done therapy for a long time, mm. do a lot of yoga, do a lot of meditation, prayer. You know, I'm not somebody that felt that I was out of touch with who I am, but ultimately it turned out there was a lot that I was suppressing, basically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. wow. What do you think was keeping you from looking at that? I honestly believe that because in my situation, I was drugged, so I don't, I don't know what happened beyond the facts. And the facts are there was something in my drink. I couldn't stand up. I couldn't see properly. Um, I remember being taken back to this. This person took me back to his house. And I remember him pulling off my trousers. And then I don't remember anything at all until waking up in the morning with nothing on and him with nothing on next to me. And so because... I don't think I'll ever know what happened that night unless he has a crisis of conscience and mm. decides to tell me. Um, I chose, I, I, I really did think if I pretend to myself or if I choose to believe that nothing mm. happened that night, then that can't affect me. But ultimately I had n no realization or understanding that what had affected me was trust issues mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and control. I didn't realize yeah. that because of that I was living under such I was basically hyper vigilance within myself and mm -hmm. sort of like a sergeant major within my own self trying to make sure nothing bad happened again mm -hmm. and I didn't know that I was doing all that until last year till I started doing mm -hmm. therapy. so it was like bleeding out into different aspects of your life exactly but you you know you didn't know unknown to me wow. I thought well okay it's obvious that I don't want to watch a rape in a movie or there are certain things that that I couldn't read or that I didn't want to look at uh, but it was the subtle thing or what well, turns out wasn't subtle, the major things of my, my, who I am, but I, that I hadn't realized I yeah. had an issue. And I think the fact that you didn't, you decided not to come forward with the person's name, and if you decide to later, you know, that, so be it. But it's made this movement, movement so much more powerful, and mm. it's really made it what you said, it's about the women, it's about the journey that you guys have, or you had. Yeah. And um, it's allowed for a different conversation to kind of open up. Mm -hmm. Thank you for saying that. That was absolutely my intention. And also, because also in my mind, this is also for my great grandmother and for the women that have come before me that haven't had an opportunity, you know, because it's very new that women have even been believed or listened mm -hmm. yeah. to. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's almost irrespective of who this person is. That's a small detail. The fact was it happened to me. The fact is it's happening to a lot of other women. And the fact is I don't want this to happen to my four-year-old niece. Mm -hmm. And if anything bad were to happen to her, I hope that she'll know that she has a voice and that she can use it. So for me, it's been about a bigger thing. And it's been about a women's journey more than it has been about who specifically did this to me. So I know you're an actress. Um, and when I was watching your music video, uh, we watched the interview and they showed parts of the video on, on the interview. And I know you have an event coming up and we'll talk about that. But I was thinking like maybe her entire journey of becoming a professional mind, becoming an actress was kind of for this moment to give liberation, to, you know, be able to be in front of the camera and be so captivating, but speaking on such a big topic or not speaking, <laughs> but like, you know, addressing such a big topic because you you're, you have a way in front of the camera too I, you know if it was me you know I, I don't have that acting background so it would have been a completely different take but it was someone with an acting background who's been in entertainment who knows how to be comfortable in front of the camera and how to like persuade emotions and it's thank you for saying yeah. that if you had seen me the day that I did the CBS interview and I yeah, was terrified I, I, but have you thought of like you know we you have a tagline Ellie you know all of my life 
experience has led me to this moment or something. Mm. Um, and it's making me think of that, that this is... Mm. And then from here, you know, who knows where you're going to go. <laughs> exactly. No, I think, thank you for saying that. I think that's exactly what my therapist said about three weeks ago. She said, I think you've always okay, knew I'm you were... Okay, I'm going to send you a check tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a check for or that. a bill? <laughs> a bill! <laughs> I'll take the check. Okay. Thank you. I'll yeah. send you a check. Uh, yes, yes, that was exactly what my therapist said. I think that you always knew you were here to say something, but I think it's maybe surprising you that it's this that you're saying. Yeah. Mm. And I think I think that was very perceptive. And that's that's essentially what you've said, a similar thing. And I think, um, yeah, I've been, I have a huge heart for, 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 for women's rights, for human rights. And I think in this, but this, you know, what shocked me about this, even um, last week when I was doing yoga at the end of the week, which last week was a week I'll never experience anything to the same intensity again. I don't think it was really, you know, amazing, but very full on. And um, I think during my yoga class at the end of the week, I was thinking, gosh, a year ago, my dad didn't even know what had, mm. what had happened to me. Mm. And, uh, wow. you know, then six months ago, I told a few hundred people when I wrote my campaign. Yep. And then um, last Monday, I told 100 people in, in a room at the premiere. And the next day, I stared into a camera uh, and told the world, essentially. My brother was in the Philippines watching it live. Mm. Wow. So oh it was it was quite a... For me, it feels extremely fast. I, I Maybe other people have different experiences of, of healing. But um, actually, one of the women on my panel last week at the premiere was one of my group therapists and I haven't seen her since last March. Um, and that was an amazing moment to see her last last week on the red carpet when I had my make makeup done and my hair, you know, and my journey that I'd been and since when mm. I l I'd last seen her, I'd been, I'd been in an extremely different place. So mm. it's amazing what can happen with it in, within a year. And what has been your experience since coming forward internally? Do you feel anything has shifted inside of you? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting and it's hard to answer that where I am right now. I, I think I'll need a couple of months with with hindsight to look back almost because what what is kind of unnerving a little bit right now is this, I'm still healing from this. Mm. this I don't feel like I'm not looking back at what, something that happened to me two years ago this this is still very much now mm. what, what I mean I, I'm through the eye of the storm I hope that I can safely say uh, <laughs> but um I feel you know I feel so lifted that my 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 experience of the me too movement has been extremely positive mm. it's been women helping women mm -hmm. and it's from 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 my mom and from friends and from acquaintances to absolute strangers and Lily Bernard for example she was you know, she's a public figure. So when a, when a mutual friend of ours uh, reached out to her and said, could you speak to, to could you speak to Mari? Because she's had a similar experience. She'd like to talk to you. She said yes. And she picked up the phone, but she had had several thousand people reach out to her with a similar oh. request and she hadn't spoken to any of them. Wow. And so the fact that she spoke to me, you know, I still feel like I could cry almost every, because I think what if she hadn't? Because mm -hmm. that was such a pivotal moment for me. And I feel like, women have held me and and lifted me when I didn't you know I just didn't know what I didn't know until I looked into Lily's eyes and I think um the experience of doing this music video when I've been in a community of I mean obviously we don't see each other every day it's the shoot and then we did a portrait session so I've seen the the women at different points but it's been such a feeling of lifting and such mm -hmm. a feeling of we are I keep having an image of a flotilla 
of us mm. all being in in this together. And I think for me, that's exhilarating and healing. Also, I think that sexual assault, at least my experience of it, was very, made me feel very isolated. And I was mm -hmm. consumed with shame and guilt, really, until just a few months ago, I was able to understand that that isn't mine to hold. So I think coming into community and, and, and being able to even have these conversations is really healing. You know, some of the women in my video are, are older than me, maybe in their 50s or 60s. And one of, one of the women of that age said to me, she couldn't have even had this conversation two years ago. I think it's just incredibly freeing to get it out. We take the power away, right? So yeah. when we keep something inside of us, we just feed it. You know, there's this monster that we're just constantly feeding yeah. with that shame, with that feeling of guilt. Yeah. And it just amplifies and amplifies. Yeah. What I love about your story, Mari, is that sometimes we think, okay, getting it out means demonizing somebody else. Mm -hmm. Right, demonizing this thing that this did this to me, that victimized me, and what you have done. Uh, I, I remember very early on we talked uh, when you were about to come out when you sent that email out. The thing I had shared with you was that this dialogue is such a big public dialogue, and what I find is missing from it is the humanity because it's all about monsters and victims, mm -hmm. and I feel like the way you have come forward and shared your story, you have brought that human element to it. Wow, thank you. You know, you've, you haven't demonized and you haven't made yourself into a victim because it's impossible for us to turn somebody else into a monster without simultaneously giving our own power away. And you have uh, managed in this really incredibly powerful way to own your power take your power and place it in this community and share it with all these women, give them permission to own their own power and made the the monstering, you know, secondary to the story. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because as you said, it is not, the story is not, uh, you know, of demons and angels or victims. The story is of hurt people, mm -hmm. hurting people. Mm -hmm. And then those people who are hurt hurting themselves mm -hmm. perpetually mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. years mm -hmm. by internalizing the shame of that act. You said earlier totally. that when you first talked to Lily, it was like the first time you were kind of looking into the eyes of someone who could understand you. Yeah. How many times do you think you've looked at someone and not known? Because, not known? Mm. I mean, the more stories that come out, I mean, I introduced you as soon as you sent me that email last year, I, I connected you to a friend in New York yeah. who had found, I had found out a few months prior to your story that she also had an experience. Um, yeah. And I connected. You guys had no idea who each other was. And then you connected over the phone. You had all this, these commonalities. She was a model. It happened to her mm -hmm. when she was very young. She was also in Europe. Yeah. And in, it was like an instant connection, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. you have this shared experience. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm curious, like, how often do we look at people not knowing their stories? Mm -hmm. uh, yes. Because they're not willing to, like you said, like you just kept that at arm's length for for. To almost two decades. I mean, yeah. even from yourself, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. If if you have shame around something, you're thing. you're you're not even gonna look at it. Exactly, and that's you know what my primary intention is with the video is to have a conversation, and that first conversation is with yourself mm -hmm. to really look at things. Um, and that's what uh, several people have written to me. Well, uh, that came to me because actually after the campaign, after I wrote the campaign, my campaign statement to 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 fundraise. 
a woman um, wrote to me who was a musician who I'd known since I was about two. In fact, I haven't really seen her since I was about four or five. You know, we were very young friends. And she said, after reading your campaign, I've started looking back at things that have happened in my life mm. in the music industry, which I previously thought was just the industry and that's just what happens. Right. And actually now I'm looking at it and it was assault or, or harassment. And I think, I think these are crucial things to look at because that shouldn't be a given that you have to put up with that in certain industries. Mm -hmm. And obviously it's not just entertainment industries. I mm -hmm. know, you know, in the last year, different things have come forward in the tech industry or, you know. Pharmaceutical I, I, sales. It's huge right. there. Yeah, I, I know, yeah. I'm, I'm sure probably almost all industries are touched yeah. or are touched by it. And I think um, it's a hard thing to do. I mean, actually, right maybe about a week after the Harvey Weinstein story broke, when I was really consumed with thinking about coming forward and things I went for a long walk on the beach and I, I actually felt angry I felt sideswiped I thought gosh I'm trying to live my life and now I'm thinking about this I didn't ask mm -hmm. to be thinking about this now I am thinking about it and it's unpleasant it's awful it's it's all consuming it's I don't want to be here I want to be in a hammock or something thinking about yeah. my die you know it's even I saw somebody on Monday night who had come to my um who was in the video and she'd come to the premiere and she works in the music industry and she said gosh ever since being at the premiere and you know, we had a panel discussion that was touching on healing and art. Well, that was what it was about. And so it was quite a hard hitting discussion. And she said, now the whole last week, I've been looking at my what I put up with in the music industry for the last 25 years. And I feel nauseous and sick. And I'm, I don't feel, you know, it's hard. And it is hard. It's really not easy to look at things that you may have not wanted mm -hmm. to look at. I mean, yeah. Yeah. you can't say that's an easy thing that's going to be fine with a chamomile tea. I mean... <laughs> You know, isn't everything better with chamomile tea? It is a little bit better, but it's still, <laughs> you still might be on the floor of the kitchen. Say that, Cam yeah. say that again. Say that chamomile tea. Chamomile tea. Chamomile. <laughs> um, I recently um, became friends with a woman who, she's a mother of two boys, and her and a group of women are, are creating a podcast called Raising Boys in a Me Too World. Great and idea. it really made me think, like, and, and you're sitting here, like, at what age do you think it's appropriate to talk to kids, to boys or girls, kind of about this? Because you said, you know, you don't want this to happen to your four-year-old niece. Yeah. What, what, what's your thoughts on that? Oh, only without being like a child psychologist, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think um, I wouldn't be able to say what age, whether it's seven or ten yeah. or something. I, I, I don't know enough about child development to know what would be like alarming and what would be, you know, helpful. Mm -hmm. But I think that both boys and girls need to be brought into a conversation there needs to be education from maybe 10 or 11 years old before you know you go into puberty and that sort yeah. of thing because I think it's scary what's happening right now if I was 11 you don't really there's terms that are bandied around and I read a couple of articles about um you know girls who are asked you know a, a poll a poll was given about w these terms like sexual harassment or sexual assault and 24% of these girls that were um, asked this what is deemed sexual assault said when a boy compliments you oh, wow. so you know yeah. there's a lot of um, misinformation and you know I mean one of the reasons I'm excited about going to France with this is because in France it's an extremely hostile situation and the Me Too movement it is not oh, really? the same as in LA. Yeah, yeah. The women that have come forward have been ostracized for the most part. It, it's very, very difficult. And Catherine Deneuve, along with other um, French 
women came forward last year and wrote a letter, you know, saying that the Me Too movement had gone too far and that they didn't want to basically live in an asexual society where people were scared to compliment each other, which neither do I want to live yeah. in that world. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I appreciate as much as I mean, anyone. There's a big step between compliment and totally. rape. Totally. Right? There's something that's nice and pleasant and there's something that's illegal for start. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and so I think to go back to the question of children, yeah, there needs to be a calm conversation before there's an incident so that right. people aren't emotional about something, I think. And, and people, boys and girls, should be allowed to without fear of mockery or, you know, say what does this mean and what's sort of what's acceptable, what's a boundary because as well there's been a lot of behavior excused under the boys will be boys thing. What does that even mean? You know, I mean... Are you allowed to assault somebody because you're a boy? I mean, I think we just, I think we need to have an honest conversation and that, mm-hmm. I, but like I said, I don't know exactly what age that should be at, but somewhere in the teenage or 11, 12 yeah. kind of I time. I mean, just obviously the Me Too, but also just molestation period. You know, I, I had a boyfriend in college who um, was molested when he was about nine years old by a older kid in the neighborhood, like their neighbor who was like 18 years old. And he essentially blocked it out of his memory. And then when he was uh, 17 or 18 himself, he was working at a local grocery store and the person who had uh, molested him came into town, was visiting and walked into the grocery store. And as soon as he saw him, they locked eyes, all the memories started to come back. And at, and at 18, he found himself depressed, drinking a lot, smoking. He couldn't like, if for him to be intimate with a woman, he had to be drunk. Right. Because it would just come into his mind. Gosh. And the only person he told was his brother until, uh, you know, he met me years later and then he shared it with me. And there was just so much shame around it for him. And I'm like, you need to talk about, like, go to therapy, talk to your family. And he's like, I, he's like, I can't tell my parents, you know, they think they raised kids and they, they took care of their kids. Imagine, like, the guilt they're going to feel when I tell them, oh, by the way, I was molested when I was nine, you know, when we were growing up. So I think. It, it goes beyond like just women being being sure. harassed mm-hmm. and in yeah. in, oh, sure. in the work or environments but uh, mm-hmm. I think it's opening up dialogue I mean this idea of like raising a children in a me too world I think mm-hmm. is really interesting and we should mm-hmm. definitely dive more into it yeah and I think essentially it's human rights yeah it's it's irrespective of gender I feel you know you shouldn't be crossing boundaries whether you're a girl or a boy you know, because it, it makes it, yeah, I, I can get upset when people say, well, but how does that make me, you know, is this a gender? I don't think it is a gender issue because just to your point, I know a lot of men too that have yeah. been, well, not a lot that have been, da- you know, personally, I know one um, friend of mine who's a guy who was also date raped or had something in his drink, a uh, drugged, sorry, and wow. woke up the next morning. Um, and that was recently, that was, well, you know, obviously these things happen all the time, so it doesn't matter whether it's recent or not, but for sure these these things affect men too and and is the awful thing is the shame mm-hmm. i feel it's like a civil war within yourself the first thing that's bad is the incident and then like you said earlier mm-hmm. if you keep it inside it just it's it just it just controls you, you. it's just yeah. awful yeah, the years you carry yeah. It. yeah and the amazing thing is when you share it it actually takes the power of it away. Yes, and it become and it's so deep 
Like I didn't mm-hmm. realize all these trust issues or control issues. Yeah. I didn't realize that I even had all those things. But mm-hmm. I think for me, um, there's a story that I read a few years ago that I just think encapsulates exactly what my experience has been with this. And it's a story of two frogs. And there was one frog in the well and he was happily swimming in the well water. And another frog just jumps on the top of the well and, and looks down at the frog in the well and says, oh, is that is that where you swim? Is that where you live? And the well frog swimming really happily saying, yeah, isn't that amazing? I've got so much water. I can do a backflip. I can move all over the place. And the frog at the top of the well looks down and says, uh, well, no, I live in an ocean. I live in the ocean. It's massive. Mm -hmm. And the well frog says, I don't even know what an ocean is. I mean, I think this is the best bit in the world. Why would I, you know, what could be better than this? And the ocean frog says, come up and let me show you the ocean. And so the two frogs go and have a look at the ocean. And when the well frog looks at the ocean, his head explodes. He can't take it in. (laughs) And I think that was my experience last year. I thought I was fine. I thought I was living a good life. I thought I was very self-aware, open, brave, courageous, whatever. And actually turns out I was living a completely controlled life with a paradigm of fear do you, that I hadn't even known. Do you feel like, Mari, that because you had done all this internal work already and you had found a, some level of peace within yourself and you're open-minded and you meditate and because you had found that you were able to come into this conversation that's very polarizing and bring this level of almost generosity and and love into it. Well, thank you for saying that. I hope that I'm doing that. That's very kind. Yeah, there's no way I could have done this without everything that I've been doing. Mm. I really think last year, my entire priority was healing. And so that that was just my utter focus. And any time... I would have a slight anxiety of, oh, no, should I be coming forward with this? You know, anything else that I ought to be doing. And I was always brought back to how can I move forward in any meaningful way until I've until I've Mm -hmm. done my work myself. And it was extremely challenging. Obviously, it'd be challenging for anyone, I'm sure. But I'm a very I hadn't realized I struggle with patience. And it was very difficult to be patient. And there was times I just said to my therapist, I can't believe I'm still crying. Like, I can't believe mm-hmm. I still have tears. Like, when is this going to shift? Um, and these answers of, well, healing's nonlinear and, you know, it can be extremely frustrating, but feeling bit by bit that things were getting mm-hmm. um, clear. But yeah, there is no way that I could have done what I'm doing right now a year ago. I mean, really, there was seven or eight months that I didn't go out to many social events, let alone yeah. speaking about what was really going on. I think also that I live in LA. It's been a warm environment. I've been believed, first of all, and I've been held. I haven't had anyone attack me. Hopefully that will always be the case because, (laughs) you know, other women in other places have been really torn down for this. And that's, you know, in in Paris, some of the women on my panel are um, survivors of Luc Besson. Like they came out, there were nine women that came out um, against him and all charges have been dropped in the last three weeks. And so... Yeah, so I want to stand in solidarity with other survivors who are having a much harder time, Mm -hmm. really, than I am, Mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. I feel like I've been in a warm bath. For somebody who is kind of struggling with that shame, with the guilt of holding this, some big secret, it it can be sexual assault, but not everybody has this specific story, but a lot of people carry different versions of the story. People get to the point that their shame, their guilt pushes them over the edge of taking their own lives for 
a myriad of different reasons because they just cannot even utter those words. Yeah. But if somebody is in the thick of it and they stumble on this podcast and they hear your story, what words do you have for them? Gosh, that's a very big question. I should have been preparing for this <laughs> so I can say something eloquent and succinct. I mean, I would say the most important thing is to get it out of you. I think even even one of my, I do have also have a therapist in London who's, who's told me that even when she works with clients who have been sexually assaulted or, you know, assaulted age three or four, they still carry the shame from mm. it. And I think it's an unfortunate, a terribly unfortunate byproduct seems like an, under, an understatement. But the way I sort of feel of the shame, it's as if, it's as if I had a, a broken leg or a cut on my leg and there's the initial cut and then there's the bruising and the swelling. And I think for me, that's the shame. It's, it's as it's as blatant and it's, it's as part of the tragedy as mm. as that is, as, as a bruise cut, going yeah. with the cut. Yeah. And when, when I've been able to understand that, I think, okay, so then it's not mine. Mm -hmm. Just so much as a, a bruise isn't my fault, it's right. the, because of the cut. Right. Then for me, I, I can understand mentally easier when I think of it in physical terms. Right. And of course, I'm not going to blame myself for the cut. Right. Or for the fact there's a bruise there now, that's just part of it. And um, for me, that was a way that I could try to understand it and take it out of, of my own guilt or shame, mm -hmm. seeing it as something that there's no way I could have been responsible for that. And Mari, I know uh, your music video has been premiered, but if somebody wants to see it, where can they find it? Yeah, they can find it on don'tsilenceme2.com or also on Facebook, Don't Silence Me. And actually, they could just type into Google, don't silence me. And thanks to the amazing SEO of CBS, we are up there. Hopefully that will stay. So yeah, those are the two main things. If anyone is listening who lives in London or Paris or Glasgow, that's where we're going to be in April. We're going to all those three cities having uh, premiere screenings and panel mm. discussions. So again, just look at the website, don'tsilenceme2.com, and that will have the details of those. And those are going to be public, free events. So if you live in that city, we, we're finalizing dates over the next couple of days, but they're all in April. Okay, and I know you did some crowdsourcing initially. Are you still raising funds uh, if people are I would, interested? Uh, yeah, thank you very much for saying that. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm about to be fiscally sponsored by an amazing company called Creative Visions mm. so that I can accept donations as a non Wonderful. through a non-profit. Yeah, this international world tour is going from the courtesy of my bank yeah. accounts. <laughs> so yes, thank you for bringing that up. Awesome. So check out Mari Morrison and also... Look up her mime show, <laughs> One Mime at a Time. And on Mondays, uh, you can guess what she's miming. And uh, she'll dedicate a mime to you if you get it, guess it correctly. I've gotten close a couple of times. So um, I'm still trying. So we hope that you enjoyed this episode. Mari has been incredibly inspiring to myself and to Nilu. And so we were very excited to share her story and her project with you. And uh, until we come back next time, uh, do check us out on Instagram. It's Peace Unleashed. That's where we share love notes with you every single day. So if you tend to forget how amazing and lovable and incredible you are, we will remind you every single day. And if you want to work with us at any capacity, you can check out peaceunleashed.com. And until we meet again, we wish you a peace-filled day. Build day.
filled day, filled 